Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And once again, welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod in a week where the All Blacks have secured the Bledisloe Low Cup, the Rugby Championship again. Was it a great performance against the Wallabies, who obviously aren't that good right now? Well, we'll dissect that and see where they went right and wrong. Of course, Ian Foster now has more trophies in the cabinet. We'll talk about whether he deserves a little bit more credit for the success that he's had in recent times. Taniela Tupo, of course, got that, that injury and looks like he's out of bladders low too. He didn't go off. What's the etiquette around players getting injured knowing that they probably shouldn't go on and whether they should go off, especially in World Cup year. The Springboks hold off Argentina. And, well, plenty to look forward to for the World Cup with the All Blacks team being named on Monday next week. So, joining me in a slightly different show this week, it's just me and Brenna. Uh, Brenna, no jipper this week, me and you. But huge analysis to come, mate. Couldn't think of anything better, mate. Just getting the duo together, uh, yeah, just getting yeah. really tight. So, <laughs> and the fact that we, we had a win as well. So, yeah, look forward to jumping into that for sure. Yeah, totally. Well, let's start there. The All Blacks. Yeah. You know, a big scoreboard win, 38-7. What did you make of their performance? Because there were long periods of time where they didn't look that crash up. Oh, look, I think with how, you know, with the good starts we've had the last two weeks, you know, probably the, the perception is that we're going to win this game against the Australians. We haven't been so successful the first two rounds. But, you know, to their credit, there were periods of that game where I thought Australia played well, especially in that first 20 minutes, you know, with the likes of Karevi and I thought Korobiti starting really well. You know, they scored just after the Fazal try. So, um, and then, unfortunately, the thing that we continue to keep talking about with the Australians is their discipline. You know, you had three, you had two yellow cards. You know, Corbetti in the 25th minute. We score a try with Cody Taylor just after that, and then there's obviously another one with Tupo, the Tupo incident, which we'll probably touch on around whether he needed to be taken off or not. But we score three tries in that situation. So, you know, for an All Black team, um, you know, you've got to be able to take the chance that they're given to you. And look, if, if the teams are going to give away yellow cards, and we're then going to be cerebral around that and scoring four tries within that yellow period um, stage, then it's great for us. But I think, you know. One thing that I did see the difference was that short side attack that they used a lot, mm. which was really good. So um, there must have been some preview and analysis around seeing that short side defence of the Wallabies and being able to get some good go forward ball there. And what it does do, it opens up to be able to be able to score a try on the open side. Now look, 22 phases for Will Jordan's try. I mean, they probably didn't think around swinging both ways, but what they did do as they use the continuation of our big go-forward balls. I thought Scott Barrett on the weekend was outstanding, and he's really the focal point in around that breakdown area, which I think we're winning a lot with the likes of Shannon Frizzell as well. But marrying up that collision area, going through in the breakdown, and then pulling trigger 
22 phases later, and there's a lot of guys that'll be tired, but if you look at that try with Will Jordan, Geordie Barrett's running the 12 ball, you've got a 13 down with Rico Ioane, you've got out the back to Richie, and then you've got Bowden Barrett on a rover line, and then the bridge pass. So, you know, at the moment, it looks very island-esque. Mm. And I'd hate to think that, um, obviously, Joe Smith would be a big part of that phase play attack, but I'm really enjoying the, the, the likes of that attacking structure, especially in long periods of phases where you might have to score tries against these top teams moving forward. What do you mean by a rover line? So if you look at that example with, Jordan, um, with, with Will Jordan's try in the, in the 40th minute, Geordie Barrett's got that ball, and you've got Rico Yuan that's coming down on a short ball, and the animation that we talk around, getting guys in and around that area so the defensive people have to make a read based on what their pitcher is. So it's gone out the back to Richie, and if you see Bowden Barrett, he's just floating in behind Richie. And so then what that does defensively, if you're a second or last defender, you've got to take him into account. And if he's there, if he's not there, then they can make that tackle knowing that there's no animational person there. So what that did, it gave a chance for a little dummy and then over the top to Will Jordan, which is a form of animation. And guys know in their role, and it seems very, like I said, island-esque. Um, and the high phase counts and everybody nailing their job and then being able to score after 22 phases. Mate, you come in strong early. <laughs> yeah, I mean, real strong. It's cerebral. Yep. yep. You know, a lot of animation. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. And I think that's the improvement that we've had. You know, I think the three years that I, we've touched on a lot in the last 12 to 24 months for us is around with the All Blacks. The breakdown, which I think has been a lot better. You don't score 22, you don't score off 22 phases if you're not getting your breakdown right. Our kicking game, whether it be our attacking kicks of 12, 15, 10, I think tactically Richie was really good around his, um, his long kicking game, his contestable games, and really having some good game management. And then our set piece. You know, we're getting back to that really strong, um, dominant scrum as well, you know, with the likes of Lomax and DeGroote being in there. You know, we're getting some really dominant scrum penalties in big, in big moments in test matches, and now defensively when it comes to the line-out malls. Um, we've only let one try, and I know Jason Ryan will continue to keep harping on to that group, that they want to be better in that space, but... Look, is it safe to say that I want to back the All Blacks for the, for the World Cup <laughs> after all these things? Say, say it now. Like, we were going to ask the question in a few weeks' time anyway, yeah. and we know what the answer is going to be. Well, I just think if it, those are the three years that I think we've just improved a lot with, you know, and I think coming back to you at the top, Ross, around Ian Foster and giving him a pack on the pat on the back, I definitely think he deserves it. You know, he's brought in Jason Ryan and Joe Smith um, and has some, and obviously we needed to get some people into ruffle, ruffle a few feathers and get the better um, All Black squad, and we're seeing that come to fruition right now, so... I definitely think um, Ian Foster's done a great job with that group. He'll continue to keep growing and getting the messages around being better, which they always continue to want to, you know, it's an imperfect game, so they'll be wanting to try for that perfection. But um, look, they've had a great start, 3-0, and the way that they've done it, especially with our forward pack and um, the continuation of our face play attack, um, we're sitting pretty well at the moment. It is an interesting point, the Ian Foster point. We had a viewer comment come and please make comments in the YouTube or, or send an email to aotearoarugbypod at sky.co.nz. Vernon Howe on YouTube made this comment. He basically said Ian Foster must be given credit for his resilience and his strategy. And let's face it, and I'm probably as bad as anyone, I've given heat to Ian Foster over the last year or so. New Zealanders have given him a lot of heat after the series loss to Ireland, you know, the two losses to Argentina. But on paper, he hasn't lost anything. He's won three rugby championships, a Tri-Nations, the year that the rugby championship didn't happen. He's kept the Bledisloe for four years. He's held on to the Freedom Cup for four years. You know, so on paper, it's not quite as bad as it seems overall in that it's not an absolute disaster but probably the Northern Hemisphere trips have not gone to plan. And I think that's it, Ross. I think that's probably the way that it's been kind of um, thought about in this part of the country. Um, look, I think any time you can win the Freedom Cup, bleed slow, the Rugby Championship, and your jobs, you know, he's obviously not going to be there for 2024. Um, it just shows, I guess, where the rugby country is and what our expectation are is of the All Blacks. Um, so but what it has done, and, you know, it's not 
you know, obviously whether Ian wanted to be able to reappoint himself post the World Cup, that decision's already been made. But what he did do after that, you know, that tough um, season last year when, when they went over to South Africa, he made some changes in the areas that he thought that they needed to make, you know, with bringing the likes of Joe Smith and Jason Ryan, you know. So he was able to be self-aware enough that, you know, well, I need a bit of help here. We need a bit of a change. It hasn't worked through this transition period post the World Cup in 2019. And I know, and I know there were COVID restrictions and that kind of stuff, but what they have done now, is, and we're seeing the best of the All Blacks team right now with those appointments, and I think also as well, you've got to give a pat on the back for the players. The players have gone in there um, and they believe and trust in Fozzie because you've seen that um, out on the field, right, with how they're playing. So um, it's tough. It just comes back, Ross. I think New Zealand public has such a high expectation for the All Blacks and the ho- especially the All Black coaches. But what I'm happy to see is that um, in this campaign, the first three test matches, the areas that I've touched on um, were areas, I think, for the past two years previously, we weren't getting right. And we've seen some great improvements in that. So you've got to put your hand up for Fozzie and the coaching group and the players to be able to get a response they'd have in this part of the championship. Certainly the development of depth through that time, when you look at Ethan DeGroote, when you look at Tyrell Lomax, there's been some changes of faces in very key positions. And when you look at the way that the scrum and the set piece is going, mm-hmm. you know, the advancement of Scott Barrett as well, you know, in that time, I mean, he'd been playing for two or three years of Test Rugby before this era, but now, the bloke's just straight up world class, mm. isn't he? Well, he is. Oh, look, Scott, Scott Barrett, he's in career best form. And I think it's, you know, you've got two, arguably the best locks we've ever had in New Zealand, and one of them sitting on the bench. And his, old, and his, and his mate as well when it comes to the Crusaders. But, you know, when you've got a guy like that playing at that um, kind of form, you've just got to keep him in there. And, you know, we'll probably go into the selection issues around what we're going to think it's going to like, be like moving forward. But, yeah, Fozzie and that coaching group, um, Jason Ryan and Joe Smith and the selectors had to make some pretty bold um, selections. You, know, you look especially with the propping of you know, Tyrell Lomax and Ethan DeGroote, guys that were on the outer get given an opportunity to then go out. And now you look at Lomax and DeGroote, they're probably two guys that you're penciling in every single week with their performances since that, um, that, since that performance in South Africa. You know, so um, it comes back to the coaches and the players being able to have an environment where those kind of guys can come in and succeed straight away. So, yeah, it's been great, I guess, 12 months post that, um, post that as well. I forgot to mention earlier that we will have an All Black later on in the show. We'll have Finlay Christie on the show from a series of interviews with the All Blacks that we've got leading into the World Cup. He's going to be this week's one. Next week, we'll have Geordie Barrett. So hold fire for another 15, 20 minutes and we'll get to that Finlay Christie interview. Really interesting about a bloke who's had... A different entry, really, into the All Blacks, the bloke who started rugby late and is now a key part of that squad. So, Finlay Christie coming up a little later on. Hold on for that particular thing. One person who's now in doubt for the World Cup is Taniela Tupo. He's certainly out of this week's Bledisloe. He's got a rib injury. We all saw it during that game where he played on, despite the fact that at times he was having trouble getting off the ground, he was in so much pain, and eventually made a bad mistake that got him yellow-carded, that put his team under pressure, and eventually led to them folding, really, in that last 20 minutes. When you're injured, and you're injured to that degree that everyone absolutely knows it, and you're struggling to carry on, what is the etiquette within a rugby side? Your call, coaches call, physios call, how does it come to be that a player continues when it's obvious to everyone that they shouldn't? Yeah, it's tough for Taniella. I think for a guy that um, probably hasn't had a lot of game time and you know just got on the field and obviously wants to try and make an impact, doesn't want to go off on the field. But you know, as players, there's been a lot of guys that have been injured, like in my time, that you know it's questionable whether you should be on the field. But I don't know many people really that have been injured like that to then have kind of the consequence that's come with it. You know, it might be a missed tackle here and there, or you're in a bad position because you just can't move the particular limb that you've injured. But I think just for Taniella, he just couldn't move his shoulder, or he was in so much pain with his rib or whatever, 
Um, it was just kind of the consequence where they get a yellow card and from there Angus Bell has to come on but he's a yellow card and then they end up scoring three tries off that. So to come back to your question though, who's who's it on? I think it's a conversation between the physio and the player at the time because look, the coaches are up in the box, they don't know, can't have that conversation with the person on the field. So I could imagine that Taniella is talking to that physio saying, nah, I'm okay. And they're continuing having that conversation and you know whether there's a stoppage of play, comes on and says, are you all right? And then again, it just comes back to the player and the physio making that decision. And in hindsight, it's a great thing. You're probably thinking now that he should have gone off, but you're probably knowing that it's a competitive player that Taniella is and most people are in that, in that position. Um, you want to stay on the field. It's just unfortunate that it ended up costing him you know, three tries due to that um, ill-discipline. And neither of us spend any time in the front row, really. <laughs> But, you know, no. it seems pretty obvious that packing down in a front row is going to hurt your ribs if your ribs are already busted. And yeah. in World Cup year, it seems like absolute madness. You can sacrifice that game. <laughs> and he is such a key part of what they do as far as getting powerful, go-forward ball, getting over the gain line. His gain line stats are crazy, yeah. you know. It just, I'm bewildered by it. Well, yeah, well, that's it. I think, again, coming back to not having a lot of time, being tough and wanting to be able to tough it out and see if you can get through it. But, yeah, I, I definitely saw, I think he got injured and then he ended up having to have a couple of scrums on the back-to-back -back mm. and then ended up being OK. But then you could just see that it was hindered throughout, I guess, post that injury. So, yeah, and I think with the fact Alan Alatoa is out, probably out with his Achilles as well. Man, the amount of depth that you probably want to have, a guy like Taniella who hasn't played a lot of footy, um, and like I said, you know, hindsight's a great thing. They probably would have taken him off, not knowing that if he's going to probably play next week. Um, but yeah, I think more so for him moving forward, I guess, is cotton willing him to a certain extent and being able to then get him into that World Cup stage. Because if Alan Alatoa is out, um, I know Tani Alatupa is probably the next cabal for me, but I'm not too sure that they have the, some, the same depth, you know, if Tani Ali gets injured with Alan Alatoa going out now. Yeah, you know, they don't dominate, dominate that much at set piece, do they? You know, to go out two guys like that. Well, it is, and you know, you know, I guess fortunately for us, we're at a, we're pretty good. We've got a lot of depth, and a lot of squads have that depth. So, and that's not to say that the new guys coming in won't have a chance. But what it has done, it's given them an opportunity now that Eddie Jones has been able to try and talk around who they think can be able to cover that role, and not only in the proper roles, but it seems like they're in a bit of a situation where they don't know what their starting 15 or even their 23 is. And um, fortunately, we've talked about it a lot. They are going to have time going into that World Cup and have this. I guess a couple of test matches to get there right, knowing that they're on that weaker side of the draw. But um, yeah, tough times for Eddie Jones at the moment. Yeah, it was a um, test credit. I remember hearing the interview. He was pretty open around, you know, bring the questions on, bring the heat on him. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, um, there's only so many times, so many things you can say, and you know, people are going to start believe you. You know, so uh, you know, he's continuing to keep saying that. You know, they we had a really good 20 minutes, and I've seen enough there to um, to think we can win the Rugby World Cup, which is great for their group. But I don't know if you can keep losing test matches. I think that comes, starts to go on deaf ears a little bit. He fell back to that old thing where the coach asks the question back to the journalist. <laughs> you know that a coach is under fire when that happens. You're sitting in a press conference and you've asked a, a coach a question and then they're like, what do you think? You're like, mate, your team's in trouble when you're at that point. Oh, but, oh, but <laughs> mate, that's, that's why we love Eddie yeah. Jones. Yeah. You know, he's, if there's a guy that's got enough um, experience and understanding of different situations yeah. with the media, yeah. uh, he's the perfect guy. So... Look, he's, he's competitive. Um, the Australians are a competitive bunch. The Wallers will be wanting to win, and you know, those conversations are hard to have press conferences. But if there's one guy that can confront it and put it in a kind of way that um, it's going to work for his group, it's going to be Eddie Jones. But you'd like to think that they probably will get a weaker All Blacks team. And sorry, not to say that there's any weak All Black team, but you'd have to think with the rugby championship being sewn up now, the bled is low back. Mm. Um, we're going to see a few changes, and we're probably going to, you know, you'd like to think the Australians will probably stick with the same squad with a few changes. You know, due to injury. Without labouring the point, 
they're not 100% on their halfback, they're not 100% yeah. on their 10, and they're not 100% on their 15. And any team that goes into a tournament a few oh. months out, a World Cup in that particular place. Yep. Jeez. Well, that's it, and I think they need to make a decision around what that's going to look like. Um, we've talked around with Richie Moonga. Um, you'd have to think now he's got the keys mm. to be able to now move forward, but you know it's taken a long time for him or in certain other positions. You know, 12, for example, we're now our six. We've got those kind of questions who we think are going to be for the Rugby World Cup, and now they're playing consistent rugby. Mm. It's probably just time, you, if you're either going to go with Tate McDermott, Nick White, or Quade Cooper, or vice versa, or Carter Gordon, or you know, who, um, Callaway, or Pattaya, whoever's going to be at the back. I just think they need to start now making decision, decisions, whether they're winning or losing. Let these guy, guys go out and play and build some cohesion to then have some confidence when they're out on the field together. Let's touch on Richie because he seems to be finding his feet strategically. I think so, like tactically. Um, I think that's one of Richie's greatest strengths, his kicking game. He's got a really good ability to understand um, when you're kicking on the front foot, whether it's a long kick, a contestable game. If we're not getting that good go-forward ball, he's been able to put up a contestable and understanding that game situationally, which he does a lot at the Crusaders, especially in wet weather footy and the back end of the season. Tactically, he's really good at and around that, but you don't get that if you don't get your communication from your 12, which Geordie seems to be doing a lot. And you've got Bowden Barrett, who's a great communicator at the back, which we talked about on the podcast when he was here. Um, and then you've got guys like Will Jordan and Mark Talia, who are just savages when it's come into the kick-chase ball. Mm. You know, whether it be an attacking kick or its ability to be able to chase a ball, kill that ball right then and there through the contestable kicks of, you know, the likes of Richie, Bodie or Geordie. Um, we're seeing probably the best version of Richie. And I think also the breakdown area. We're getting good go-forward ball, 22 phases. A couple of our tries were through high phases. And, and look, if teams are going to defend 150 for the Australians on the weekend, you know, we might see the pitch open up a little bit more for Richie to go. But at the same time, I've been pretty impressed with how he's gone tactically. And I think that's what we're going to have to be able to really good, especially in our kicking game and getting us in the right points of the field with the likes of Ireland, South Africa um, and, and France in those World Cup stages. Let's touch on that 22 phases. You've you mentioned it a couple of times, and it, it seems in recent times the modern game has not gone, unless you're Ireland, that many phases. You strike early and you get, or you get rid of the ball. Yep. What is the significance for this All Blacks team that they are able to go that many phases and succeed? Well, I think it's a mindset. First and foremost, it's a mindset of being able to do your role with whatever that looks like. You know, if you look at a lot of those carries when it was three forwards, you know, some of them were a hard carry with a bit of footwork going through the going through and winning the race for those two cleaners. Sometimes it was a little inside ball and then being able to have enough movement and speed to then go make the clean, which is quite hard if you hit it on the inside because the two cleaners are having to come back against the grain. But then the, the backs as well, when they've been given opportunities with ball in hand, there's been a hard line there and they're just racing space to be able to get over that advantage line and that's how we've been able to get good go-forward ball. So very similar to, I look at Ireland when they came here, um, the first two test, or the second and third test matches when they scored of 22 phases of the very first parts of the game. And it's very similar to what we're seeing in New Zealand. I think we're seeing with the All Blacks now, holding on to the ball, guys are just so efficient at the breakdown and being able to clean past the ball for the likes of Aaron Smith and co to be able to get that ball out. Um, we're asking more questions of the defence now. If you're going to make 151 tackles, even though sometimes you're not going to see it on the scoreboard, you're then going to see a yellow card, ill-discipline errors, and then you've got a bench that comes on with a tiring defence, which I think we saw in the week. I thought our bench was really, really good. So I think we're just in a really good space in and around that area at the moment. Then there's Sam Penny now. Yep. You know, he's a guy who was one of the stars of Super Rugby. He's in the squad, he hasn't had his chance. Surely it is this weekend that they, they give him a look, just in case. 
Yeah, well, you'd have to think. He's been chosen for a reason, hasn't he? And I think with, uh, um, with the way Shannon Frizzell's been going, and you know, we'd probably have to think that he's our sixth with Scott Barrett possibly in there um, as a cover. But, you know, Sima Penny, he's an awesome guy for the future, I believe. And, you know, for me, I would, you know, I would start him and give, you know, Shannon Frizzell a rest, all those guys a rest, just knowing that we, for the greater good of the squad, to give him opportunity, Sima Penny, is he, is he up for it? Uh, and you pretty much, it's an acid test straight away because mm. I think, right, he has been one of the form players of Super Rugby and it might just be great to give him a start at six or him coming off the bench and you even look at the likes of Dallas McLeod as well who hasn't played, you know, bringing him off the bench, you know, do you start Cam Roygaard? Probably won't, obviously with Aaron Smith being his final test at Forsyth, but would love to see a little bit more of Cam Roygaard as well because I thought he was, you know, had a great cameo on the weekend as well. It's a good chance to mm. give Finlay Christie some substantial minutes and give Roygaard substantial minutes by giving Aaron Smith his last test at home, are you missing out on your chance to properly prep this squad? For me personally, I think yes. I would love to see a Cam Roygaard or a um, Finlay Christie start. Because, you know, I know I know they probably won't because with Aaron Smith, he deserves to go down to Forsyth Bar, play in front of his family, his friends. He's done so much for the Highlanders region and the All Blacks as well. It's the best send-off mm. to be able to give Aaron that. But, you know, worst-case scenario, if Aaron Smith gets injured in the first round against the French, is in as out for the whole tournament, when have we given these guys really an opportunity to have a chance to play a starting a test match? Now we both know that Aaron Smith's going to be the starter and they're trying to make a decision now I think between Finlay and, and Roygaard and even Brad Weber who's played really well in the background for that All Blacks 15. I think it would be great to see Roygaard or Finlay get an opportunity, give Aaron Smith the week off for the greater good of then coming into the World Cup to see right these are the two guys, the three or three guys, they're ready to go and we don't need to have Brad Weber. Or conversely, if they don't go well, then you know, well, Brad Weber's been playing well, we know what we're going to get with him, we might bring him into the squad. So that's what I would do personally, but understanding, I think, with what um, Forsyth bar the test match being down there, I think Aaron will start, and it's whether you give Cam Roygaard or Finlay Christie another opportunity. After this interview, which we'll play for you in just a moment, we'll touch on the Springboks and we'll touch on Argentina a little bit more and touch on what could happen at the World Cup and could happen in the Bledders, though, this weekend. But now's a good chance to catch up with Finlay Christie and learn a little bit about how he went from gymnastics to the All Blacks. Before I let um, Big Jib get into the, obviously the code side, um, you're a golfer, yeah, obviously. Yeah, well, I want to be. Yeah, you, we all, we all, we all want to be golfers. Yeah. Who is your worst partner that you don't want to be with? And then obviously maybe your best round that you've had on tour and probably the best place you've played that you've loved. Um, he's going to kill me, but <laughs> worst partner, maybe Will Jordan. Yeah, that's, that's fair, man. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Good chat and everything, but when he gets in the red and gets, gets his um, duck hooks going. Yeah. Tough to sort of keep him in the blue. Yeah. yeah. Is he still trying uh, to be like the ball? Like my golf game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but nah, nah, it's a good group of lads, and yep. yeah, golf's such an enjoyable thing to do on the day off and get you out of the hotel. So yeah, best round. Come on. What was your what best is, round? What's your lowest? Mine. Yeah. Oh, maybe like an eighty-one or something. Ooh. What's your handicap? Used to be a burglar, but unfortunately the handicaps come down. What are you now? Uh, about 11, 12. Ooh, that's nice. Need to get nice. it back up, eh? So. It's actually hard to go back up, yeah. isn't it? They, they bring you down. It's like an ego thing. Yeah. I think they bring you down <laughs> yeah. fast and then they let it's you out good. slowly. It's not good. Yeah. So, um, try to get a few rounds in this week and yeah. get, get it, it back up. up. Yeah. Nice. Now, Code, <laughs> um, Joe Schmidt, like, you had a lot to do with him, obviously with the Blues. Um, he's now in that all-black environment. Really interested to know like, what impact he had on you as an individual. Um, but then also in both of those groups and, mm -hmm. and ha you know, how influential he's been. He's so knowledgeable and so experienced and he's um, he's just so well prepared and, and anything you sort of ask him or whatever, he's going to coach you. Um, 
that you know he'll have thousands of clips on something if you ask him mm. for some feedback or whatever it is um, he knows all the oppositions you're going to play whether it's a reserve halfback or something he'll know everything about him but um, yeah I was lucky enough to have him at the Blues as well and he, he sort of drove that he was sort of defence for us but as as well as that he drove a lot of our breakdown and sort of just like a I don't know how to explain it, like game culture, like our work rate or mm. willing to work and um, all the little things that don't really require talent, he sort of pushed. And um, I think, yeah, what he did for us at the Blues was a big reason to, as to why we made the final that year and why we had that um, such a good season. And um, it's awesome to see him in that All Blacks environment now sort of driving those same, I guess, standards and those, those little things and um, the impact he's had over the last year has been mm. massive as well so um, yeah he's a great coach and um, it's awesome mm. having him along with us Jeez Mark Lear must be his favourite uh, player <laughs> if he likes effort areas yeah yeah um, yeah Mumba's going pretty well yeah. <laughs> um, Spider's on him at the moment so. just to go back a little bit more obviously Leo McDonald um, gave you an opportunity with Tasman yep because you obviously went a little bit of an unconventional route obviously mm-hmm. going down south and also yep. the growth of your area because I think when you're at Tasman the growth that you had as a rugby player you, you look like you really knew your role in that and obviously you've kicked on with the Blues with Joe Smith and then being in the All Blacks but maybe that time at the Tasman Marco did it really set you up firstly in professional rugby yeah I guess it did um you know what it's like at the Crusaders and I guess Tasman are I guess an off cut of that and the yeah. way they run their teams and it's um, very detail based and um, you, you just get to know your your role really well and and sort of figure out what you need to do for the team and um, when I first started playing rugby I, I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> even those first few years at Tasman had no idea and I guess run around like a headless chook just trying <laughs> to do everything but um yeah, those those early early years and at Tasman really set me up. I think mm. just like I said, um, getting to know the the basics of rugby and what you need to do as a nine and um, yeah, the culture there is pretty cool. So I think I was pretty lucky to end up there. And um, yeah, I love going back there. Mm. You referred to a few times the fact that you were pretty new into the game. Like as you came out of school, you were literally really only just a top level player, weren't you? You were a real late bloomer. Yeah. Um, very late bloomer I um, guess I played one year of first 15 at, at St Kent's and even then I sort of wasn't really a, a footy player I, I did gymnastics most of my uh, most of my younger years so didn't have time to play rugby so only really started um, the back end of school like the senior years so um, even finishing school I wasn't wasn't one of those superstars coming out of the big schools I um like I said, battled my way around a bit. Um, almost got a diesel mechanics apprenticeship, but then <laughs> somehow found my way down at uni in Christchurch. And um, yeah, it all went from there pretty quickly. Got that contract in Tasman and yeah. Gymnastic must have taught you a bit though in terms of you know the approach and the discipline of it. Coming out into the rugby environment, yeah, like core strength, flexibility, all those things help you, you know. Um, <coughs> so I think... I don't know, there might be a little secret there. Uh, get into gym. Yeah. We're talking 5am starts, doing ridiculous amounts of training in the gym, flips yeah. and bars and all that kind of stuff. I think at my sort of peak of it, um, just before I finished, it was probably 20, about 20, 21 hours a week of training um, while going to school. And um, 
I was busing an hour up to school from Pukekohe as well um, each way so it would be yeah 6am training in the morning then on the bus at 7.30 get off the bus at about 4.30 and mum would wait wait in the car with a toasted sandwich and take me straight to gym Um, and I'd be there from about yeah 4.35 till sort of 8 8.30 most nights Um, and then we would have a big four or five hour training on a Saturday so holy dooly yeah it's pretty full on and yeah that's why I sort of couldn't really play rugby and I think that's probably one of the reasons I quit in the end was all my mates were um, yeah. playing footy and up at school and I guess I just wanted a bit of bit of free time. How did you get in, first involved in gym, gymnastics? Uh, probably a mad little ginger <laughs> uh, with too much energy and mum was like bugger this <laughs> try to get rid of him for as long as I can so um, yeah I'm not too sure I think um, I did it once or twice when I was in Scotland I lived there till I was seven uh, and then came over here and I don't remember why, but I just remember getting yeah, going there when yeah. I was really young, and I must have must have loved it, and yeah, stuck around, and ended up doing it for about nine or ten years. Yes. I get laughed at on here regularly um, for <laughs> when when anything goes well in the back line, I credit the Fords. Um, but as a halfback, I'm hoping you can help me out here. Like we constantly talk about winning collisions and stuff, but when the boys up front do the business, it just must make your life a lot more enjoyable. Oh, hundred um, percent. As you'd know, Brown. Yep. He doesn't um, agree with me often, though. Oh, that's what he's really agree on. He was behind the Crusaders, Pat Moses. 100%. It's it's one up front, and as a nine, there's nothing better than having clean ball and go forward ball. I think there's one um, thing that people may be interested in is the relationship with a nine and a hooker and a put into a scrum. <laughs> yeah. uh, the amount of time and effort that goes Channel into one. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I'll, funny story. When I first started at Tasman, like I said, had no idea. <laughs> I knew you guys were called hookers, but I didn't really know that you sort of hooked the ball. So I mean, I used to crouch, pause, and gauge or whatever, and I'd just throw it in. And it wasn't until about halfway through the season at Tasman that um, I remember feeding a scrum. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. At training and Tim Perry stood up and he goes what are you doing you're just chucking it in like straight away like wait for the hooker and I was like oh what what do you mean and then started going through hooks and things that I had no idea yeah. so I used to just chuck it in it's probably bouncing around yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah there's a, a lot of um, I guess subtleties to it that people will not see and, and won't know but 
and every hook is different. So obviously coming in now, you've played a, a few test matches now, and I guess the, you know you played well at Mitre Cup level, Bunnings NPC, going into Super. What have you found at the international level as a nine? Is there anything different at Super Rugby level that you're trying to do at international level, or is it just a little bit faster and the decision making is probably a little bit quicker? Yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, the biggest thing coming into the All Blacks is just how you have to nail your role mm. and I guess that's the good thing about it you know everyone's at such a level where they're going to nail their role so you just have to nail yours and um, I guess that can give you a bit of confidence and the way you go into things you just need to focus on yourself whereas Super Rugby or NBC teams you know you could have mm. a lot of other things to think about in games so um, I guess it just simples it makes it simple and um sort of easy for you to go into and just focus on yourself and what you need to do especially when you're an experienced like me and mm. still pretty nervous and, mm. and new to the arena so um, it's been pretty cool You've had some pretty good guys in with you along the way though I mean when you're at the Canes you had TJ Pettinata in there now you've got Aaron Smith where you are now like what kind of lessons have you picked up of those guys has there been any nuggets that have stuck with excuse the pun <laughs> that have stuck with you along the way <laughs> Nuggets um, um, I guess it's just a lot of little technical and tactical things as a nine you know that like you said those two guys are incredibly experienced um, I was lucky enough to have TKB at the Chiefs as well my first year um, so coming in as like a fresh whatever I was 20 year old not knowing sort of anything about it um, I was really lucky to have two All Blacks um, teaching me early on so I learned a lot off them yeah, just everything about the nines game, you know, passing-wise, um, technique on things and a lot of tactics as well. So, um, yeah, I think I was pretty lucky in the way I came into the environment. Mm. And Nuggy loves to pass. Like, he loves to pass the ball. Are you the same? Are you passionate about feeling the ball <laughs> rip out of your fingers like that? I think any nines like yeah. that, Brandon yeah. would know. Yeah. Um, yep. Always chucking the ball around at training. But um, I think Nuggy takes that to, a, to another <laughs> level. He's... Um, he loves it, eh? So, um, but in saying that, he's so knowledgeable and mm. obviously experienced. And luckily, he loves teaching and coaching people now. So, um, the help he's had has been pretty cool. Yeah. Also, just one thing I think with the um, the attacking side of the All Blacks at the moment, um, your attacking kicking game, we've talked about a lot. The contestables, getting there right, you can maybe dive into a little bit around the meterage and why you're doing it. But we're seeing in the All Blacks a lot of the, the backs can kick now. Mm-hmm. Bowden, obviously Richie, you've got Davey, and you had Geordie on the weekend. They can all kick. Has that kind of been an area that's been talked about a lot? And you guys, seems like you guys are pulling trigger, making the right decisions at the right time. Yeah, we've um, a lot of our game plans just been as simple as trying to attack to space, yeah. and whether it's running space or kicking space, um, we want to get the ball there. So I guess that's why you sort of see um, a variation in kicks, whether it's you know the little cross kicks, chips over the top, yeah. or especially a team like South Africa, their nine defends on the on the edge. So at times they won't have a sweeper in behind their line. Um, but yeah, like I said, we just trying to attack the space and um, wherever that is we'll, we'll have a crack. Is that a, is that a visual thing from the kicker or is there a lot of expectation on, on your, your wingers? Yeah exactly um, a part of a winger's job is being eyes for the guys inside to make their job easier you know um, a lot of the times you'll see guys like Baz or Richie or whatever hitting those kicks or pulling out that amazing those amazing skills but it's the guys outside that need to feed that info in and um, mm. 
yeah, they're the eyes for the, the guys making the decisions. How's that changed? Because there's been, like you look at, you know, the Springboks, they were obviously calling it, but the call was getting out there early and they were executing. So like, you know, as a nine or 10, you're getting that call early. What's changed in that area? Because it wasn't happening 12 months ago, but it's happening a lot more now. Has it just taken time and the repetition to be able to see those pitches and get it right? I think we're just a bit clearer. And like I said, we've got a pretty simple game plan. Yeah. So, um, those boys up front. Yeah, and <laughs> obviously that as well makes it a lot easier when you've mm. got front football. It's easier to kick off, you know, yeah. if you're getting smoked in the forwards and then trying to kick off a slow ruck, you're going to get kick pressure yeah. and all that. So um, I think it's a mix of a lot of things, but um, right up there is having a simple game plan, which just yeah. makes it easy for everyone. And the individual owning their individual role. With yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now Finlay, we get viewer questions come through from our YouTube comment section. Not all the nice questions, but often, <laughs> often constructive. Um, and also we get some emails through. We've got something I wouldn't mind you answering if you'd be mm. so kind. Julian Anderson from YouTube has basically asked, what is the point of a box kick? Mm. So often you're giving the opposition a chance to get it back because of the percentages involved. Why do you do it? Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> I think the easiest way to explain it, you'd know Brenner, um, being a nine would, we sort of call it the pressure game or um, they're called contestable kicks. So you're obviously a shorter kick, but higher and you want your winger or whoever's chasing it to, to be able to compete in the air. And that way, I guess you have that chance that the opposition's gonna knock it on or you're gonna get, ideally you get the ball back. And when you've got guys like Caleb Clark, you know, Mark Talao, Will Jordan we see in the weekend, mm. um, the number of contestable kicks that we actually got good results from. I think that's just a prime example of why we do it. Mm. Um, you, you know, you can go into games games with the mindset of winning the air and um, putting up contestable kicks like box kicks or even the ones off 10 are mm. a massive part of that. But in saying that, that old saying, like a kick's only as good as its chaser, yeah. yep. um, you have to have that mindset from the wingers and the outside backs that they're going to go and get it otherwise it's yeah. sort of pointless but what meters are you trying to aim for because obviously mm -hmm. probably 10 years ago when McBurn first kind of introduced the kind of box kick 28 meters mm -hmm. it's probably come back a little bit more because of the escort game yep. 16 to 18 to 20 would be your range you're yeah for? it's I guess it all depends on personnel and yeah. there's you got left footers like Cam Roygaard who kicks about 100 meters high <laughs> yeah. so he could probably go 30 meters but yeah. um I'm a bit shorter in, in how I do it and um, yeah it's just down to individuals yep. and I, yeah like you said escorts have got a lot better um, I guess in Europe box kick kicking has been massive and mm. that's probably why escorting's become so good these days so it's I think why you're seeing a lot of variation between box kicks and the kicks off 10 mm. now to the edges where it's a bit harder to escort. Mm. Yeah. 28 metres seems very precise. Why 28 metres? Oh, I was a method to his man, so I'm not too sure. from 22 to 50. Yeah, 28. Yeah, roughly. Probably, yeah. yeah. but then I think... Wasn't it time in the year as well? It was well? time in the year. So, like, when that first came out, when I was when I was playing, the 28 metres was, like, it had to be in the air for four seconds. That was the kind of yeah. range in the time. But I think, as we just alluded to, like, the escort game and people blocking, it became... Unless you can be, like, Cam Roygaard, who can boot it high and for that metre, which I can't do that. So, mm. mine's, like, that 20 metre range yeah. because you've got the escorts and you've got to be able to... As a winger, you can't go full speed straight. You're pretty much trying to yeah. move around, and it's it's too hard. So that was the the first one. Twenty-eight minutes. It depends on the mindset of or the whatever the team is. Some teams will do it to 
make a tackle and put pressure on that ruck, mm. whereas some will do it specifically to get the ball back. I know when I was at Tasman, I'll sometimes kick, and you're the same yeah. at the Crusader, sometimes like 12 metres, yep. and we'll be like, that's a good kick. Yeah. Because your wingers are going to be able to get up on that yep. shorter kick, whereas some other teams might kick it high and a bit longer, and then they're trying to hit that ruck. South really Africans hard. are very good like at that. South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. You must remember that when you're commentating. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of the commentators rip into a 12 metre kick, but yeah. <laughs> now you can really add that in. Oh, add that flavor in. Like I, I do with any not straight, I'll be like, nah, jump and jump across. As long as there's someone getting up for the ball, it's yeah. 12, 14 metres, it really yeah. doesn't matter. But depending yeah. on what team you're in, mm. depends what team you're in. So that must take a lot of practice then. The, the kickers understanding the range of the different um, half, I mean, the chasers understanding the different range of the kickers. That yeah. must take a fair bit of time at training. Yeah, with connections, I guess, that, like you say, takes time at training, but. Um, that's what training's for, and we, yeah, we do practice it. And the, every now and then, the wingers will come along and chase a few at training, and that's mm. how you build those connections. And those connections would come like potentially after training. You'll review your kicks, you'll review the chase, and you know that ability to just go talk to them, you know, in camp, isn't it? And say what were they thinking there? Because there's a lot of, there's so much you can learn off the grass as well, can't you? Yeah, hundred percent. A lot of it comes down to, like you said, um, time connecting after trainings or after reviews and um, I think as long as the back line or the team's on the same page and know what they're trying to achieve then mm. you're probably going to go in the right direction. And sometimes too when you should do a bad kick if your wingers are comfortable like Will Jordan he'll say mate that's terrible like give me a better one or like Israel Dag yeah. we used to just be able to kick the ball and if it's inside the 22 just call Mark yeah. every single time so when you're, when you're comfortable it's good to have that competitive juice when you've yeah. got your back three doing that. <laughs> you get a lot of ribbing if you get it wrong do you? Well, yeah, if you're comfortable, I guess, and you know, yeah. some players don't really give a, give a <laughs> crap about them. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know about it, so. Yeah, yep. Yep. yeah. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much for joining us, Finlay. Nah, cheers. Cheers, Thanks, Thanks, Good to see you. All the best for the weeks coming up. Thank you. Cheers. So it'll be interesting to see whether Finlay Christie is in that squad on Monday next week when they name the All Blacks World Cup squad. You know, who's going to drop out of that 36 from the outside backs? Is it going to be Narawa? Is it going to be Caleb Clark? Or is it going to be Lester Faingar-Nuku, who hasn't had a chance, really, to show his game yet? Yeah, it's probably the worst time to get injured, isn't it? Yeah. I think with his form, um, Lester in particular, his form in Super Rugby was probably warranted thinking that he might be the incumbent coming into the start of this rugby championship. But with how well Mark Talia has gone and Will Jordan's on the right-hand side, um, whether they mix up, you know, do they drop a midfielder having just four midfielders then having five outside backs but knowing that Damien can cover that 15 with Barrett covering 10 as well so yeah I think it's probably going to be I think it's probably going to come down to flexibility around um, being able to play multiple positions and I think maybe that's where Leicester might get the, the nod I think it'll probably be out of Clark, Leicester and Narawa I think out of those three um, and what Leicester has that he can play centre he can play winger worst case scenario he might actually be able to cover a loose ward Possibly, who knows? You know what I mean? Yeah, he loves so, the turnover. He does. So, um, yeah, but at the same time, you've got to be out on the field. Your currency has been out on the field. And, you know, Narawa's played, Clark's played well, he's started and he's come off the bench as well. So they've got a bit of currency with being able to play. So you'd have to think if Leicester's fit, um, you'd have to get him out there this week. And it's more so a trial for him to be able to see if he can get on that ticket to, to France in the World Cup. So where are the other two blokes that drop out from this 36 squad down to 33? You'd have to think. Um, a midfielder, you know, you obviously got David Harvilli, I think, um, before Geordie got before Geordie got his opportunity as a guy that they must see as a 12. You obviously got Dallas McLeod there, who was given um, 
was called into the squad, sorry, with due to his good performance at the Crusaders. Um, you know, I think there, there might be one position there where if, if Davey comes in, then maybe Dallas jumps out, or vice versa, they keep Dow and the have uh, Davey doesn't come back. But then I think also maybe dropping a lock and a loose forward just with the position. You know, I think we've got multiple guys that can cover that six. You look at um, probably Tupo Vai and Scott Barrett can cover that six position at a, at a, well, not at a pinch, but they can do that. More so Tupo. Um, and so, yeah, I think they'll rather drop a midfielder. Um, so these are the positions that I think they could drop a drop uh, a loose forward, a midfielder, and an outside back. That's where I think they'll be going forward. So it is amazing to think that he's not even really in the conversation right now. Like oh. <laughs> consider Sean Stevenson, considering the year he had. Yep. Here we are, heading in with all his depth, and Sean Stevenson not in the squad, not really in the conversation. Oh, the man, team. you look at Luke, you look at the other positions as well. You yeah. look at Luke Jacobson, who had a great yeah. season for the Chiefs. You had Simi Penifina, who was great for the Chiefs. We haven't seen him. Dallas McLeod, yeah. you can say the same as well. Um, and it just comes back to the depth that we have in the All Blacks. It's hard to, to get in that team, you know? So when you're in there, it's been able to take every opportunity that you have, whether it be 20 minutes off the bench, starting, or whatever it may be, um, you take it because at the moment, it's quite hard to get on the field, you know, even for the likes of Sean. So we have to wait and see in, in that space how it goes. Poor old Grant Williams in the Springboks. He yeah, was off yeah. the field real quick. Yeah. You know, that was pretty tough to watch from the kickoff, the way, you know, he took the player, I think it was Juan Cruz, Malia, you know, where he did the charge down successfully, then caught him with a hit to the face. He went down, he was flat, you know, and he was obviously knocked out. Probably one problem is that the game wasn't called quick enough with this bloke lying yep. prone on the field. Yep. The next issue is, you know, what happens in that position when a person successfully does what they need to do, like a charge down, and then someone gets knocked out off the back? Uh, you know, I think we saw Caleb Clark last year yep. going for one and taking a bloke out and getting a red card. The result is the same. Yep. But what happened in your ability to get that initial skill done is, seems to be what the difference is because it's a rugby yep. injury, you know? I, yeah. So <laughs> I find it hard to get a, my head around what's right or wrong here. You know, my understanding is if there's any part of your body that hits the head first, mm. it's a red card. You know, so and it wasn't even a red card. It wasn't even a yellow card, right? No, no, no. It there was, was nothing. Nothing there. So the consistency we're looking at there, and some referees will be able to ref police that, saying that's a red card. Some people will say it's a yellow card. Then there's no penalty, you know. So mm. the consistency in that area, man, like, it's one area that I think we need to be a lot better on. Um, and so I think, yeah, I feel real sorry for, for Grant Williams. He's a, man, he's a really talented halfback, and I know that he had some good cameos off the bench. He's played really well for the Sharks. And I thought, you know, it was a great opportunity for him, especially being at home um, in South Africa to get that test match. Certainly I remember being in Tokyo for 2019 and pool play was just full of red cards. And it was one of the talk talking points of the tournament, just how many of them were happening and how it was necessary. But at times it was ruining games and it's hard to get your head around the fact that the 20 minute rule isn't there. Yeah. I suppose the other thing for me that I find interesting about it is that the rules on one hand encourage something and on the other hand discourage it. So, you know, you're allowed to charge down the ball you're openly encouraged to charge down the ball. But by openly encouraged to you know, complete a particular skill, mm. you're putting yourself and somebody else in danger by doing it, and then you're most likely carded for it. Like, the messaging there is a little bit off. It, it is off, but you know, it's no different from a tackle. There's, mm. there's 200 tackles in a game, and you've been policed pretty brutally in, in reviews or previews. Your body height is so crucial to be able to get it right and wrong, especially with how much variables are around someone coming in really, really low or someone coming in high. So, and education is, is done. Um, but, you know, again, 
with that law not coming in at the Rugby World Cup, you just got to be so squeaky clean and understanding situationally, especially in big games, you've got to get it right, whether that's a charge down or a hip or your body height or whatever. Um, the best team that's able to adapt to that um, is yeah. probably going to win, which we don't want it to be like that, right, Ross? Yeah. You know, we want the ability for guys to go out there, play instinctively, be real decisive and not worry about the rules and what, oh man, if I'm a little bit high here or I get that wrong, I'm chasing the ball really, really hard. It's a pivotal point of this game. I get it wrong just a touch and it's a red card, and that costs you a nation for four years. Yeah. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. the 20-minute rule, bring it back. Like, where's the yeah. camera? Like, bring it back. Like, 20 <laughs> minutes. Come on, World Rugby. Talk. For the sake yeah. of, the, of the World Cup, 20 minutes. Bring them back on. Tell Bill Beaumont. Oh, Tell Bill. Him. I know, mate. We haven't seen, we haven't talked, but please. It would be great for us to have that 20-minute red card. It's worked wonders down here, yeah. down south. So, But, yeah, it'd be great to see. Yeah, the South Africans adapted. Yep. They got through, they got their win. It was close, but I mean, in the end, the scoreboard was closer than the match result would have been because, you know, they scored at the last minute and weren't there. So they really had it in the bag. Yep. Where are the Springboks sitting heading into this World Cup? Because they've been a little bit ropey, but, you know, they're getting most of the job done. Yeah, and no, I just think as well, the, the continuation now, I think, of their squad that they're going to have, they're going to, I think, from this World, from this rugby championship. You're going to start seeing more of a kind of um, more cohesion with selection around being more consistent in a lot of those areas. And so I just think on the weekend, for example, you know, they had 12 penalties and they had 17 turnovers. You know, so they, uh, that error rate, if you have any team that you have a lot of errors, whether it be Argentina, Japan or whatever country, um, especially the, the top tier nations, you're going to get yourselves in those positions. But what I am enjoying seeing from them, I'm loving seeing like Leboc and even Willie LaRue as well, and even when Willemsay does get more opportunities. Um, they're playing an expensive, more expensive brand of rugby. Now, they did kick a lot on the weekend um, with Fafta Klerk coming on, and they have the ability to be able to do that, but you know, I just want to see continue to keep seeing a continuation around them running the ball, because when they do get that right, they've got the likes of you know, Colby as well, you know, and the other wingers as well. Mm. Um, they have the opportunities to be able to try and use their footwork and be able to use the ball. So I think they're actually in a really good place. Now, I know that you, know, you look at 22-21 against the Argentinian team, which hasn't had a lot of success, but you know, come World Cup time, man, they're going to be really hard to beat. They've got both DNAs, and the more attacking rugby that they can play and try and get that right, because they can always go into that um, the kicking game and the high defensive pressure. We actually saw, you know, you look at um, Le Box try, you look at Fuff the Cluck, how high he was on the edge. You know, they do that a lot in South Africa, and if you don't get it right, um, they score tries. And I even thought Argentina on the weekend did really well with their skill set to try and get the balls to the edge and actually got around that, that umbrella defence. So... Um, but no, I think South Africa will be right. They'll be there thereabouts come that World Cup time. So you look at the rugby championship, the All Blacks unbeaten, the Springboks two wins, Argentina one win, the Wallabies zilch. What have you learnt about all of these teams out of the rugby championship and has any of it changed your mind on the way that the World Cup could play out? Um, I think for us personally, I think we've just made massive gains in the spaces that I've talked around and we've had a really good... Um, start for three test matches in the areas of the breakdown, the set piece and our kicking attacking structures to get around that line speed defence. So for us personally, I think we're in a much better spot than we were post that, um, that European tour with the improvements in that game. Um, the South Africans, like what I just touched on, the attacking game and whether they have Lebok or Willemsa and they continue to keep using that running, um, running rugby, I think it's going to be really good for them to go from in between running and kicking and their high pressure defence. So they're there or thereabouts. Um, Argentina, I think... They're in a lot better space because I think now they're going to be together for longer periods of time. And I think you know, the unfortunate thing that they have is that they get players from different parts of the world. They come in in really congested amount of time. But, you know, they're going, to, they're going to keep building now. And come World Cup stages, they're going to have that time together. Um, and they're going to be able to get more, I think, more consistent performances in the areas that 
that um, they've been on the weekend. And I think Australia, uh, we don't need, probably need to harp on a little bit too much around them, but the side of the draw that they're on, you'd like to think that their, their balance of their game and getting better knowledge around what it's looking like for them and being able to, I guess, turn attack into points and get in the, the dominance that they do have with scoreboards on the points, um, they'll hopefully get there. But you know, you have to think Australia, out of all the four, will probably be the most disappointed in this um, rugby championship this year. Totally. To add to Argentina, they love a Northern Hemisphere World Cup. Was it third in 2007, fourth in 2015? It's a place where they, and a timing maybe in the yep. year as well, which seems to work. Yeah, it does. And I think the way that they play as well, they can actually go through both. Like they have a lot of um, decision making and around their kicking game. So the contestables off nine and 10, they're very similar to a lot of teams in the Northern Hemisphere. If, if things aren't going their way, they go to the contestable game. They've got good outside backs. They make good top tackles and are good on those wide breakdown areas. So again, they've got the, the, the DNA to go into that Rugby World Cup. If they can get that physicality right and their discipline, mm. you know, if they can get their discipline right and they can suffocate teams with the, thing, with the results that we saw with them against New Zealand and the All Blacks with those two test matches when they won them, they got all that, all that together right at the right time. The challenge for them is can they do it for 80 minutes in a high-pressure situation against one of these top-tier nation teams? Well, we'll get a chance to see that again against South Africa this weekend in Argentina, yep. so that'll be an interesting one to play out. There's a lot of games this weekend, obviously. The Bledders low return game in Dunedin. Uh, Scotland versus France. Wales versus England. Uh, to a lesser extent, Romania versus USA. Ireland, Italy is the other one. So there's a fair few games we're going to start getting a little bit of a feeling for this. And the European teams can now start to get their thing together as well. But you have to think that the Southern Hemisphere team's preparation is probably yeah. a little bit better right now. Yeah, I think it is. We are very lucky in this part of the world that we go pretty much peaking into our Rugby World Cup with a lot of test matches mm -hmm. under our belt. So it's great now that the Northern Hemisphere teams, you know, they've had their long camps. I think when I was in with the World 15, they were getting ready for training and that was almost you know, five, six weeks ago. So there's only so much training you can do with high altitude. It's getting on the field and being able to get those um, those players in, in place when you're being able to play rugby. So it'd be good to be able to see where they're at. And it's obviously live on TV. So Jipper and I and, you, and yourself, mate, will be uh, my sky and a lot of them and seeing yeah. how they are tracking. But uh, yeah, I'm very interested to see how France are, are going to be looking. I think, again, being a Rugby World Cup um, and seeing how their progression is, if they can continue to keep being hot and make their run for that Rugby World Cup. We've obviously done a lot of Super Rugby pre-season stuff where you build and then yep. the first couple of weeks are a little bit more shaky. How do you plan a Northern Hemisphere build-up here coming in without a major competition? Is it actually quite a good thing to be in a position where probably you've taken less blows to the body, a little bit less, or you know, is there a way where you could find that as a positive? You definitely could find it as a positive, yeah you can, but I think it just takes maybe a couple of test matches to be able to get your, get your body going and the touches and, the, and the, 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 um, the fitness side of it. Look, you can do five or six weeks of running, can, um, conditioning games, scenario based rugby games, but man when it comes to the first 20 minutes of your first game, doesn't matter how fit you are, you are blowing and it takes a bit of time to get the legs underneath you. So. Um, yeah, they would have gone through the, the, their, their plans and the coaching, the SNC staff to try to get them best fitted to then go to the Rugby World Cup to peak because I think at the same time you need to get the balance right of the loading in the early part of the World Cup because, you know, let's be honest, in some pools you could probably get away with the heavier load in the early part of the Rugby World Cup knowing for the rugby, you know, for the back end, for the quarterfinal stage, it's pretty much just recovery and you're not getting that load. So, you know, the best teams in the world probably get that, that variety and that balance right. But what they are going to do now, the Northern Hemisphere teams, now they're going to start their run. And you'd have to think the next couple of test matches for them, for all of those countries, uh, it's going to set them up well to then go hissing into that Rugby World Cup at the start. Oh, you're hissing, mate. You've been outstanding <laughs> on the Bryn Hall show today. Ah, Bryn Hall show. It's been a big...
big, strong performance from you. Mm. The full 80 minutes. Hey, full 80 minutes. I only play 50 minutes, so yeah, it's been, uh, missed your gyps, so <laughs> definitely need you back here. <laughs> we'll probably have James Parsons back with us next week, of course. So thank you, Bryn, once again, uh, for all your insight and knowledge. And we'll see you next week when we'll have an All Blacks World Cup squad in hand, which will be really interesting. A few more World Cup warm-up games to talk about. You know, Bledisloe Cup as well. And we'll really get into and dissect that as well. It's a really interesting interview with Geordie Barrett, who... Wow, he loves the detail of the game. That, I think that was the thing that struck me about Geordie Barrett in that interview, right? Like, he, mm. he loves a bit of detail. Yeah, he does, and I think all those Barretts do. I know Scott spent a lot of time with him. Um, yeah, they've got around the detail, but, you know, it's leading into why he's playing so well, so may the detail continue. He's got a detailed game around his golf as well, so maybe that might be in that short as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you would think he hits his hoop a big ball? We ask him that question as well. So, all of the important questions next week on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Please get in touch with us with your questions, either in the YouTube comments section or send us an email, Pod at sky.co.nz. We'll try our best to get to them as soon as we can in the lead-up to the World Cup. Matewa.